first of all, of primary importance, not just first in a list of many things, but the thing that is the most important of all. Pray. 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 I want you to pray all the time for all people in every situation. I want you to pray. Hold up before me every circumstance in life. Because I need to hear your voice as regards the things that you are engaged and involved in. Prayer is central to what God wants to do in the world around us. Your prayers make a significant difference in regard to your life, in regard to your family, in regard to your health, in regard to your church, in regard to your neighborhood, in regard to your government. Pray. I, I want you not only to pray, I, I want you to lift up holy hands. I want you to, to lift up your, your being before me and call upon me, acknowledging who I am, worshiping me as you pray. And as you pray, you're going to be praying for everyone, but most specifically, you're going to be praying for government officials. Wow. Paul, when he was writing these words, who, who was the governing official? Who was the one controlling the circumstances under which the Jews lived? Rome, Caesar. What, was this a godly, righteous, good, just government allowing the Jews to live in peace and harmony? No. no. And yet God said, pray for that man. And, and, and Caesar was the one ultimately who had Paul beheaded. And yet he says, pray. He also says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. You see, you don't pray for your government because you believe in everything that that government is doing. You're praying that you might, as a nation, live in peace and harmony so that the gospel can be proclaimed. So that all men and everywhere can come to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when the government is not doing what the government should be doing, which is to provide a safe, and tranquil and peaceful place in which to live. As, as you're doing that, as you're praying, that is when God can move most powerfully. But, but is, is that always the case? That, do we always live in peace and harmony? No, but you still pray for that government. And Paul in his day was praying for Rome, was praying for Caesar. I, I have to confess, there have been presidents for whom the only prayer that I was praying is, God, get that man out of office. You know, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I didn't have enough confidence that God could change his heart and cause him or her to do the right things. But God, just you know, remove him. And yet, was I being, was I following God's word? Well, maybe so in, in some instances, because sometimes, you know, that, that's what has to happen. But still, what I should have been praying was, Lord, would you change the heart of this man? Would you draw this man and his family? to you, so that that person can live a righteous and godly life, seeing the error of his way, can turn around and lead the nation in godly and righteous policies. Pray. Uh, pray for all people everywhere. Uh, we have this, all people prayed for, all people praying. Remember this, given out about yeah, eight months ago? Yeah, and, and we're doing this, right? So that everyone in this congregation is being prayed for every day by 10 people. And you are praying for 
10 people as well. You're being prayed for and you're praying for others, praying for the government. Uh, here's uh, something that uh, Charles Stanley put out. I'm just going to pass some of these around because I think it's a good thing that we have something in our hands that we might use as a guide for prayer. If you want to just kind of pass those back so people can get it. This Sunday, by the way, is called Voter Registration Sunday for Christians. Now, we haven't set up a voter registration booth here at our church. We could, maybe we should. I suspect that most of you, given your age, are registered to vote. If you're not, you need to. And if you're registered, you need to go and vote. And a lot of times, well, what difference does it make whether I vote or not? Well, I want to tell you, there are a number of elections that have been won by a very small margin. And that if the believers had gone out and voted our convictions, that is to say, voting for those who, who were the most godly, who we saw uh, conform most clearly to what the scriptures teach, and, and by the way, there's none of them that conform completely, right? I mean, we're not looking for government to save us. We're looking for God to save us. But, but godly governance is a good thing. And, and the scripture says that we are to pray. God wants us to pray. It says this is pleasing to him. God is delighted when we pray because he wants all people to come to the knowledge of truth. He wants all people to understand that mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who is the mediator between God and man. There are so many confusing versions of, of who God is out there. Been talking to uh, a niece over this past week, and she grew up in hard circumstances, left home at 14, uh, spent some time in India, and, you know, and we were driving over to an estate sale, right, to, to pick up something. And, and I'm talking to her, you know, about faith. Who is God? See, this, this is, you know, he's the one that you have to know. He's the one that you have to acknowledge. He's the one that you have to follow. And this is the God that we are to teach and preach. And we pray that the government will give us the opportunity to do that. Now, again, do we depend upon the government in order to be able to preach that? No, we need to preach and teach and pray whatever the government, whatever they're saying. But as Christians, we need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for a godly government. And we need to be praying that the word of God would get out where the word of God is supposed to go. And, and you're not just praying for your own needs. You're not just praying for yourself. You're praying for Others, yes, you should pray for your own needs. You need to pray for your own health and well-being. You need to pray for your, for your grace that God would impart that into your body. But you need, as, as you pray for yourself, you're also praying for others who have need, that you know have a need. And you lift up your hands in prayer before God. The one Savior, God, wants this. And God is pleased when we pray and we involve him in the circumstances of life around us. All kinds of prayer. Supplications. You, you know, for a lot of people, supplications, that, that's the only kind of prayer they know. It's almost like God is a cosmic Coke machine. You put your quarter in, you, oh, well, now it's you put your dollar and a half in. Yeah. You know, you can tell what, when I grew up. It was a nickel, you know, right? But you, but you put your quarter in, and out comes the Coke. And if it doesn't, you pound on the machine. You, know, ah, you didn't give me what I asked. And there's a lot of people, as they, as they talk to God about, God, you you throw a tantrum, and you're pounding on the Coke machine. God, you haven't. No, no, that's, that's, it is supplication. It is a request to God. But it is God who determines when and how those prayers are answered. And yes, there are times when we storm heaven, but we're not storming it like a spoiled brat. 
We're saying, God, I know you want this. It's not happening, and so I'm going to hold on until you answer. It's not a pound, 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 uh, you know, knocking on God as though he has to somehow be persuaded. So supplication, asking. Asking for our friends, asking for our neighbors, asking for our government. Thank God for a vice president and a secretary of housing who are devout Christian men and, and who, who, who talk with the president about certain things that maybe he would not have been uh, mindful of had there not been godly counselors with him. So, so we're praying, we're, we're supplicating, we're asking. But then, then there's, there's prayer, this general talking to God about, about all the kinds of things. So you're praying with supplication, but you're praying, you're talking with God, you're communicating with him, you're, you're, you're friends. I mean, I love Joyce. She's my wife. But we talk a lot. We need to commune with one another. We need to see what's on one another's mind on a regular basis. So it is with you and God. You commune with him. You talk with him. You speak with him. You open your heart to him. Supplication. Prayer. God also talks here about intercession. What is intercession? Praying for someone else. Yeah. But, but, but it's not just praying for someone else. It is as though, here, would, would you stand up, the two of you here, just for a second? I'm not going to make you do anything other than just stand. Okay, Let, let's, come out of here in the aisle here. We'll get you out here. Okay, so let's suppose that this, that this couple who love one another very much, and you can tell that they do, by the way, but suppose that they're at odds with one another. Suppose all of a sudden we know that, yeah, yeah, suppose all of a sudden we know that there's a problem between them. An intercessor comes with them and talks to them both to say, look, you need to reconcile this situation. You're standing between them, but you're bringing them together. You're, you're, that's what intercession, you can sit down. That's what intercession is. It, is. it is standing between someone and a circumstance that is problematic, and it is, it is pleading to God on behalf of the situation so that there can be reconciliation and resolution to that difficulty. That's what intercession is. Now, all intercession is prayer. Not all prayer is intercession. That's why Paul is talking about these different kinds of prayer. But then he also says, be thankful. Pray with thanksgiving for all things. You know, our nation's not perfect, right? I mean, I don't think any of us would think it is. There's no perfect nation on earth. But I want to tell you this, having traveled all over the earth, I am thankful to be living here. I am thankful that this is where God has placed me. And, and in, in, in every situation that we face, even the difficult, challenging situations, even the situations where health issues arise that, that are not what we would want them to be, still there's cause for thanksgiving. There's cause for rejoicing. There's cause for saying to God, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you want to do. We're asking you, again, to bring into our circumstance, into our situation, into our life, into our church, into our family, that which you want. And we thank you for that which you have already done. Lifting up holy hands. All men, everywhere. At all times, men, women, I mean, it's, you know, this is, yeah, all of us praying for one another and our circumstances, praying for our government, praying for the situations around us, that God might be known, that this one mediator might be revealed, 
What do you, what do you, what do you go to Calamesa? I mean, Justin, we were talking about this. You go, yeah, you want to do good. You want to see that these kids have clothes and food. But you go because you want these kids and their parents to come to an understanding of Jesus, the one mediator that they may not have at this point in time. And so you are doing good, but you are doing good with the intent and hope and prayer that God will bring a full harvest out of that, that these kids and, and that their parents would come to embrace Jesus as you know him. And that what is more, you may come to understand who he is more fully and completely. Now, we come to Amos, and this is a a fantastic passage because it's showing what happens when people don't do what God wants them to do. We talked last week about shepherds who were like the shepherds in Ezekiel who fed on them, you know, who fed themselves, who fed on the flock, who killed the lambs for themselves. And here we have leaders of the people, wealthy people, who have lost all respect and understanding and reverence for God. How do we know that they had lost all respect and reverence for God? Because on the Sabbath day, Mary, the day that they're supposed to be resting, the day that they're supposed to be focusing their attention on the Lord, what are they doing? Well, they know they can't open the shops. They wish they could, but they can't. So they're sitting down and scheming the next bad thing that they can do to rob the poor and to grind them into greater poverty. No respect for God, no honor for God, no reverence for God, and a complete and utter contempt for those around them. God has a love for the poor. That is, that is so evident throughout all of Scripture. God is concerned for the weak. God is concerned for the needy. God is concerned for those who cannot help themselves. And God says to us, part of this is you're praying for them, that God will bless them. And here this group of people are, are just, all they're doing is they're scheming. Hey, how can I cheat them even more? There must be at least a few of these poor people who aren't slaves yet. How can I enslave them? How can I put them into such debt that they cannot pay that debt, and so for the price of a pair of sandals, they wind up in debtor's prison? And I exploit all that they have. I take even that little bit that they have, and I acquire it and accumulate it myself. Utter, complete, Contempt for God. And, but, and basically also an utter and complete contempt for the way that God made things. You see, God, the, 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 the Sabbath, the concept of rest, the concept of looking to God is hardwired into the universe. It's hardwired into creation. Jason, when God created everything on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. That was the, It's part and parcel of the way God has ordered things. We need to rest. We need to divert ourselves from the acquisition of things to sitting down and contemplating that which is delightful and good, and we need to rest, and we need to worship God. Oh, but, but God, Sunday, it's my only day off, and, and they have church so early. Why couldn't they make it later? You know, I mean, come on, God. I, I mean, this is my chance to go out and play golf. I can worship you out there in the Oh, it went off the green. <laughs> yeah, you're really worshiping the Lord? I don't think so. And, that's, and that's, that's these folk. All they're thinking about is this life and what they can acquire and accumulate in this life. And they acquire it and they accumulate it in evil ways. 
showing utter contempt for those around them, utter contempt for the environment as well. I, when I first was, uh, was living out in Cario Valley, you go to the market and they have these, these cans that you're supposed to, you know, they, they, they sell their grain in and stuff like that, and they call them debes, and they hold about two gallons of, of stuff. But if you turn them over, they punch the bottom up, you know, so it looks like it's full, you know, so it's, 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 it's a changed measure. And that's what these guys were doing. You know, when they were with, they'd have a, a, a measure that weighed the wrong amount. They, they would cheat them on the exchange. They would cheat them in any way that they could. And this was the way of, of life for, for these people. That's how they thought that they could make more. Of course, everybody knew it. So, you know, so you so then you keep some more on the top, you know, because you punch the bottom up. What, what does God say? I have sworn by the pride of Jacob. I've sworn by myself. That's the pride of Jacob. I've sworn by myself, I will not forget their deeds. And the land will tremble on account of it. What we do has an effect on the world around us, on the environment around us. We may not think it does, but every evil act that is done degrades the environment around. Not, it's not just polluting, it's not just dumping oil out into the ocean. Every unrighteous thing that we do tears down God's creation, diminishes it, makes it less. And, and, and the, the terrible thing about this is that the word of God was available to these people and they were not hearing it. They were not listening to it. They were not obeying it. They, they, they weren't concerned about what God said. And so God says, because you will not listen to my word, there's going to come a time when my word will no longer be available to you. You'll find yourself in captivity. You'll find yourself in need. You'll find yourself in want of God, and the word of God will not be available to you. They killed the prophets. If you kill the prophets, who's going to prophesy? If you lock up the preachers and kill the preachers, who's going to teach and preach? And so, by their own actions, they were diminishing their access to God, to whom they gave lip service, but not life service. And so God says there's a consequence for every action. And as you diminish my word, as you diminish my, your respect for my word, ultimately there'll be a time when you'll want to hear from God, and God will not hear. There'll be no word from the Lord. 430 years, there was no prophet, no word from God until John came. Why? Because they had acted in this manner. They had acted in this fashion so as to debase God's word. And so God's word was withdrawn from them. And they hungered at some point when they were in captivity. When the, when the results of their own actions came upon them and they wanted to hear from God, they had driven God so far away, they'd closed their ears so tight that they could no longer, even if God had spoken, they still would not have heard at that, until the time, the fullness of time, when Jesus came into the world. Let's look at our Luke passage. This, this is, a, this is a, a kind of a phenomenal passage. It is talking about being faithful over the things that you have so that you'll have more. But you know, when, when you're reading this, didn't this kind of confuse you when it says, um, the master commended this guy? Because he had cheated him out of his money? Uh, wait a minute, what, what was going on here? He calls in uh, the debtor and says, how much do you owe my master? A uh, hundred, write fifty. Uh, how much do you owe eighty, write twenty. What was he, uh, write, write sixty, what was he doing? Well, you have to understand that the word of the Lord said that you were not to charge interest to your brothers. 
In other words, no Jew was to, to we were to be generous and loan, but no Jew was to loan to another Jew and charge that person interest. But what was this master doing with the full what was this servant doing with the full knowledge of his master? He was charging interest, and the interest could be as much as 100 percent. That was not uncommon in those days. And so this man who owed 100 uh, uh, things of oil comes in, and the guy says, "Look, cut off the interest. Take it down to 50. The one who had it, cut it off, take it down to 60." He cut off the illegal gain the master was getting. Now, when, when all of this was forgiven to these creditors, the master begins to look like he's pretty... In the eyes of the debtors, the master looks like he's a righteous man because he has been charging me interest, and now he's, through his, through his servant, he has forgiven the interest that I owe. Hey, the master is a good man. And so this guy is getting a reputation as a good man when he had nothing to do with it. But he looks at this servant and he says, you're, hey, you're, you're shrewd. And, and, and yeah, you have taken care of yourself. And you know that I can't do anything about it because if I do, then I'm going to appear like I'm, I'm, I'm unrighteous and ungodly. And so the master gains a reputation that he does not deserve because of the actions of the servant, which were in fact duplicious. But Jesus is saying, look, and there's, some, there's a bit of sarcasm in this, isn't there? When he says, you know, take unrighteous wealth and gain for yourself eternal treasure. He, he, he's looking at these people, these, these people who were like the people in Amos, the, the religious leaders of his day, to whom he was speaking, and he's saying, you think that you can do all of these things and you're going to gain eternal So yeah, do that. Yeah, cheat people and, and you'll gain eternal life. He's, he's, he's kind of being a little sarcastic in this. But he's also saying what, what this man did really was commendable because he was getting rid of the unrighteous taxation, the, un the unrighteous interest that his master, through him, had been charging other people at that time. Be careful with the things that God has given you. Yes, use them rightly, use them properly. Because, you know, if, if, you, if you're not honest over small things, and if you're, and if you're not doing those, those things in this world, then all of the eternal things that you should be paying attention to, you're probably not doing that right either. But if you're acting in a righteous and godly way toward the small things in life, you're going to be acting in a right, you're more likely to act in a righteous way toward the larger things in life. Make sense? Absolutely. And so, so the confusion here where it seems like Jesus is commending a little bit of dishonesty and trickery, it's not exactly what it seems. But it is exactly what the culture understood, and the people in Jesus' day would have seen this. They would have known what was going on. And they would have probably said, huh, pretty clever guy. And he had. He had, he had, he had looked at uh, the needs, and he had he'd seen what could be done to sustain his life uh, it, when, he, when he didn't have his job. The psalm. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. David, completely, wholeheartedly devoted to God. Even when his enemies were attacking him, and they were even when these unrighteous kings who were serving other gods were coming against him, David is saying, Lord God, I know that I can trust and rely upon you. What is more, I will look toward your temple, even if I'm out in the battlefield, I'll be looking toward you 
Because when you look to the temple, you're looking to God. I will look for, toward you to declare your righteousness and your goodness before these kings who are attacking me. And I will give you praise, and I will give you thanksgiving, and I will bow down to you because you've exalted above all things your name and your word. The name of God is this character, his commitment, his sovereignty. And God, you have established your sovereignty, your nature, and your character over all things. You know what? God is sovereign over all things, whether you acknowledge it or not. God is sovereign over all things, whether these kings acknowledged it or not. But David said, by my being righteous, by my serving you, these kings are going to see in me your righteousness, and they're going to give thanks to you. Ultimately, they'll come to you. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And David is saying, by my remaining faithful, by my doing what you've called me to do, by my acting in a righteous way, by my considering others better than myself, loving others, loving my neighbor as myself, people are going to see that. They're going to know who Jesus is. And even if they don't accept him at the end of time, they will bow down. They will acknowledge. And he goes on to say, God regards the lowly. God loves the poor. God loves the sick. God loves those who are in need. And he is faithful to them. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. How many of us are walking in the midst of trouble? Yeah. God, you sustain me. You care for me. You speak to me even in my pain. You love me. You raise up your hand against my enemies. You deliver me. Who heals when we pray? God. He's the one who touches. He's the one who heals. And the scripture promises, and David knew this even in the midst of his difficulties, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Because your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. God is faithful. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God knows you. God loves you. God is concerned for you. God reaches out his arms and embraces you. God holds you and sustains you, and he will never fail. His word is sure. His promises are forever. We talk about our Father who is in heaven. He is the one who is faithful. He is the one who fulfills His word. He is the one who fulfills His redemptive, loving purposes and promises. Every good word that the Lord has said, he will do and fulfill. He loves you. He knows you by name. He understands your circumstances. And he is faithful. Pray. 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 Intercede. Give thanks. Rejoice. Live in the knowledge that he is always here 
for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.